everybody. This is Will Richardson in San Francisco. Welcome to the Richardson Financial Podcast and the 10X Advisor Podcast. Today I'm really excited to be with Brian Heckard. Many of you know Brian. He's the 2016 MDRT president. He's been in the industry for 33 years with 29 MDRT qualifications, seven court-of-the-table qualifications, and 10 top-of-the-table qualifications. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me. We know I thought would be an interesting conversation is John Moshitis uh, mentioned to me about a study group that, that you and he and some other advisors are in. I thought it'd be fun to have you start and just share some of the kinds of things that uh, that study group has been able to, to help you uh, accomplish over the years. Well, I look at the study group as probably the single biggest um, advantage that I've had over um, the previous person I was. Uh, study groups allow you to accumulate knowledge, share ideas, but more importantly, it becomes a uh, board of directors to help you make big decisions in a proper manner. Uh, it gives you access to people who have either been through a situation like that or, or five other minds um, that can help you think through something when nobody else will tell you no. Um, all of us run successful practices, and, and when your name's at the top of the chart, uh, very few people challenge you on decisions. So it gives other people the opportunity to think through what you believe is a great idea and make sure that you're thinking through all the obstacles and all the benefits of, of what might happen and put a different spin on it. So it's been a phenomenal um, approach to growing my practice over the years. And people like John, Brian, Ron, and Peter have just been phenomenal friends. Uh, even though we didn't start off to be friends, they became great friends and excellent business minds to help enhance what I do. It almost sounds like you know the way you're the CEO of your firm, and just like the CEO of a big company relies on the board of directors to help to help see things that maybe no one else is is telling him. It sounds like that's exactly what the the study group has done for you. Exactly what it's done. Well, when you when you think about the idea of, and I know you've got um, a successful uh, qualified plan business is one of the areas of, of focus that you have, and also uh, my impression is that there's a few um, MDRT advisors whose businesses you've acquired over the years. It'd be great if you could share with us kind of how you've approached that and what that's looked like for you. Well, one of the ways uh, that I found to enhance the growth of my practice has been to um, acquire the, the practices of other advisors. First one was in 2001, and uh, we've acquired 10 since that point in time. And a lot of them are traditional uh, life insurance-based practices that have grown into, um, you know, a fairly successful um, mobile presence. But what I consider to be solo advisors, there's no succession, there's no agency structure around them, and they're looking for somebody to hand off uh, their client relationships to. And I think it's important to realize that uh, as, as younger advisors uh, look at their future, that it's important to build a relationship with a successor very early in your practice. Um, the, the people that I acquired were not able to do that, and through my contacts, through my uh, industry presence, 
uh, I was able to become that choice. And um, we, we have a very good track record of retention. Um, we've always brought additional um, way of doing business to a firm so that um, a lot of times they have a traditional life insurance-based relationship and we added planning, we added the 401k practice to their clients, we added um, more investment advice, more depth, and we added a bigger structure. We have multiple locations, we have uh, many staff, not just one, and it's able to enhance that person's exit out of the business and transition their clients into somebody they can trust. So it's worked very, very well. I was, so if you were thinking about that in 2001, it, I don't know that many people were, were thinking about that, let alone actually um, making those kinds of things happen. So what, what was it back then that made you aware of this idea and, and start down that road? Well, it was um, one out of a decision at that time. Uh, let's transport back to 2000. And in 2000, I made the, the decision that I was either going to get big in the 401k administration or I was going to get out. So it was one of necessity. And I was giving a speech in central Illinois when a, uh, a producer approached me and, and asked if I would be interested in talking to, uh, to him about his practice. And we actually were about 60 plans. Um, this advisor had about 160 plans. And um, through a course of about a 10 month discussion, we ended up merging the two together. Um, I had to travel three hours from Nashville, Illinois to Peoria, Illinois, um, and we kept and maintained the office. But the advantage to me was that he had a qualified staff of five and I had a qualified plan staff of one. So again, that's where I, my inflection point uh, became, I had to either sell or buy. And it was, it was a significant uh, improvement to my clients. It, it, he had a professional staff, but he was on the back end of his career. Uh, his employees were in limbo. They didn't, they didn't necessarily wanna leave because they thought he'd be around, but they also were looking for other opportunities. So again, I purchased the, the practice we maintained all the employees that, that needed to stay and were able to um, significantly increase the offerings and product, increase the offerings and service. Um, I bought um, a lot of knowledge in the process and uh, it helped my practice grow significantly from that point forward. Well, and you know, one of the things that, um, that I've observed about you and others like Bill Spencer and Brad Elman have shared with me is that you're very good at managing your time. I mean, so here, here's one. How, how did you manage to continue to grow your, your business um, while being on the executive committee of MDRT uh, through the, the presidency back in 2016? How did you, how'd you find a way to get all that done? Well, um, the, the biggest advantage that I have is my partner, Leo, um, started with me about three years before I joined the executive committee and at that time uh, that he joined us uh, we, re we had started uh, to build a new office which I did a lot of the construction work myself um, some people golf for a hobby I built buildings <laughs> so I actually wired the building I did the flooring um, I did a lot of the hands-on stuff um, so Leo very early on accepted a lot of responsibilities and started thinking like an owner eventually became an owner and um, 
Bill's ability to think and, and act like an owner allowed me to dedicate my time most efficiently. Uh, the one thing that I've noticed in working with successful producers over the last five years on the executive committee is there's a commonality of efficiency. They do the things that they need to do and they don't do the things they don't need to do. So my commitment on the executive committee consumed about 60% of my time, but almost 90% of my mental capacity. Uh, MDRT is going through significant growth. We went through uh, probably an extra three to four weeks of meeting time on top of a very busy schedule for the strategic plan. And as I was compressing all of my productivity into fewer and fewer um, days, what I found was there were less things that I had to do um, that I thought I had to do in the past and more things that I was better at and focus on my, my best things. I'm, I consider myself very good at a few things, uh, establishing a relationship with a client, um, solving problems, uh, my ability to think through problems for a client are, uh, in my mind, my best asset. And the things I don't like to do are the things that I've hired great, smart people to handle. I, I don't do the paperwork. Uh, I review it, but I don't do it. I don't set my appointments. There are other people in my office that are 10 times better at um, establishing appointments. And I don't do meetings with vendors. Um, I, when, when there's ideas that vendors bring, they bring them to somebody else in the office who's better suited to hear those ideas, not distracted by the other thinking. So we've eliminated vendor visits and basically outside input. But it was important that we still hear those messages. Vendors have great ideas. They bring great products to the table, and I didn't want to miss that. So what we've done is assign times that either Leo or somebody else in my office would meet with these vendors. So the key takeaway from efficiency of time that I think your viewers can take away is find the things that you're best at and completely identify the things that are time wasters communication, social media, all these other things that distract you on a regular basis. And you'll find that you really do a lot of your work in just a few hours a day and make those hours the most efficient and the most productive will help you um, manage your time a lot better. Well, you know, it's amazing about that is to think about not only, you know, the 60% the of your time, but the 90% of your mental space that you mentioned. So you, you had to figure out how to be most effective with the time you were, you were given. And, I, and I've got to think that's just helped your business tremendously now that you're no longer on the executive committee. You've got all that time back and you know how to do your, your highest and best work. It, you mentioned social media. So <laughs> Bill said you adopted a strategy recently. I think he called it the minimize distraction strategies. So, so what, what were you doing on social media before you changed that habit and what are you doing now with it? Well, again, if you look around at any dinner table, people are grabbing their phones. If you watch somebody in an office, you'll see the pop-ups for um, every time a message comes in, every time an email comes in. Uh, the, the social media companies and, and Microsoft and Apple are very good at alerting you that there's some reason to use their product every day. So just simply turning off alerts 
on on your phone. Uh, there's turn off the banners. Um, it's amazing that if you don't know when an email comes in, it'll still be there when you want to go to it at a time. Um, getting a notification that some of my friends um, are eating dinner somewhere is not important <laughs> in my day, but it's important to them. Um, and I can choose at a point in time in the day where I have some downtime or I choose to take a break. Uh, I call it my mental candy. Um, if I want to go to it, I can go to it on my terms, not on Apple's or Microsoft's terms. So shutting those things off are the, are the first thing that you can do. Um, I, uh, in one of my speeches I give, I actually chronicle where there's about 187 days that are wasted, just merely seconds at a time. Uh, you know, social media, um, I've done almost a complete uh, turn off of that. Uh, I let my wife do the post for the family reason. She's, she loves it, but she's even limited her time on there. And then I focus on um, the relationships that I want to build. And while everybody else is doing it through social media, which is great, I, I, there's a place for that. I'm focusing my time on webinars with my clients, uh, maximizing my time uh, most efficiently and not getting distracted by the, the shiny things that, that flash into our life every day. Well, that's, that's a big, so I think you just said we, we, if we're not thoughtful, we can waste about half the year. Did I get that number right? <laughs> it, it's 197, or excuse, 197 um, days can be wasted easily if you, if you do the math at a second of time. And that, that includes travel to appointments that you could do through a visual like this. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're adapting that. Our clients love it uh, because as I tell them, it's, it doesn't matter where they are physically or where I am physically. What it matters is where they want to go. And if I can give them an answer without having to drive two to three hours, which in my area, my successful clients are three to five hours away from my physical office. So if I can redirect that time into solving their problems and we just communicate visually through a computer, um, I find that to be the biggest advance of my personal time, and that's where my biggest time waster was. And it, it sounds like you, you were you maybe worried at the time that if you weren't doing face-to-face, -face, clients wouldn't have the same experience, and then you found out that it wasn't an issue? Is that what the progression was like? Oh, absolutely. Um, again, I, we, we use um, web appointments probably 15 to 20 times a week, and um, my son is a testament, Brandon, is a testament to how that can work even if there's not a warm relationship. So he just recently had a client that was um, taken from a completely cold relationship to actually moving over almost a half a million dollars uh, through nothing but a series of three web appointments. And he's 23 years old. They're in their 60s. Wow. So the people that say, the old traditional way, older clients uh, do not adapt to technology or, in my opinion, um, not facing the reality that those same clients are FaceTiming their grandkids every day. <laughs> uh, they're using technology, they just may not have access. What we've done in that situation is we make the, the ability to link to us very easy. So rather than a go-to meeting where they have to download, we have our own web system 
which we email a link, they click on the link and it becomes live. They don't have to go through a download, they don't have to go through a series of passwords, it makes it very easy to connect with them. What is, you, you created your own or what, what is the system that you're using? Well, it's, it's called Mixi. It's a part of our phone system, and I'm sure there's a, a base technology that our phone company in, in Southern Illinois didn't create, but they're out there. Um, some people I know are using a lot of different technologies. Um, if you don't, go to Meeting or WebEx, become an alternative, but ours is interactive, so I can turn the presentation system ability over to them. I think in the next year or so, there's going to be multiple choices, but we found this one about three, four years ago, and it's been the one of the most, um, the biggest ideas that I think that we've implemented that have helped us grow, uh, especially with my travels. I, I was able to stay in touch with the clients I needed to, whether I was sitting in Nashville, Illinois, Chicago, or, or Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I, I could make the contacts I needed. Um, it, wherever they wanted to go, I could give them the direction. That's amazing, and so there's something that I'd love to have you talk a bit about. And there's there's the um, I believe you call it the Apple uh, strategy. Could you share with us uh, what that is? Sure. Um, a few years ago, I found myself trying to describe how our philosophy uh, did not compete against index-only investing. It didn't compete against a managed only approach and it and it veered away from you know using um, the guarantees of insurance companies and, and it was kind of a combination of all three of them so i developed and trademarked the term apple and it stands for the a stands for active management uh, the first p stands for passive management the second P stands for protected management, and the LE stands for legacy. So in our concept, um, we don't argue for or against active, we don't active for or against passive, we don't argue for or against protected. We think there's a happy medium that incorporates all three, because as many advisors know, there are times like right now where active management is doing extremely well. There are times when passive management through indexes and ETFs does very, very well. And there's a time when both of them do very poorly and protected management gives the client peace of mind. The LE becomes in any investment strategy, not so much what you have, but what you want to leave behind. And we discuss ways to make sure that there's a legacy for the client to leave to their beneficiaries. So we design a strategy that incorporates all three and clients have a better grasp of the concept. They don't understand what an ETF is a lot of times. They don't understand what an index fund is. They just know it's cheap. They don't understand really what an active manager does. So rather than try and explain beta and coefficients <laughs> and alpha and all these things, we talk in general terms to get the concept through that we want to help you grow with the least amount of risk. So there's a portion that will go into each one of these baskets so that you can leave the legacy you want to leave behind. Well, the simplicity of that's great. It's memorable. I just wrote it down and it, it's, it's going to be easy to remember even if I didn't write it down. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> so there you go. That's what we want. 
when you said the protected, now did I understand you right? Or you say, is that um, is that using some of the the guarantees and, and cash value life insurance or things like that, or what is what was that component of it? Sure. So protected, um, depending on the the time. At one time, a few years ago, when variable annuities offered um, a, a fair trade off between expenses and guarantees, we were using variable annuities in in some capacity. As those costs have increased and the benefits have reduced, uh, we started using other types of products that offer protections. It could be CDs at a bank. It could be other types of um, investments that give some shield. Cash value life insurance is a great one as a bond alternative uh, where you transfer the bond risk that we all know is coming when interest rates go up to an insurance company's portfolio and let them take the risk where our clients can use that as a safety net to, to accumulate money. And then the, the beauty about a cash value life insurance is it then provides that legacy guarantee through the death benefits to make sure that people don't outlive uh, their legacy. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that's such a great way to, to give them a visual for something. And, and what you're saying is like, we, we look at all these things. It's not one or the other. It's putting it all together in a, in a way that accomplishes multiple things, right? Um, there was there was a, a video on your website that I thought was really interesting and it was really illustrative of this idea of little things make a big difference over time. Can you tell us a little bit about what that latte concept uh, means to you? Yeah, and I'm in the 401k world, we live um, in, in that life every day where clients are choosing literally between a cup of coffee or money in their 401k plan. and. In our meetings, uh, we're very passionate about making sure people capture a percent of the time. And it's, it's, the, it's the stress on the five and $10 per week that will make a difference of hundreds and hundreds of dollars in, uh, per month in their retirement paycheck that make the difference. So um, I wrote a book um, on 401ks and one of the things I talk about is the power of a compounding uh, that you know we all understand the concept but to most people that's a foreign concept for most participants they don't understand the difference of five dollars a week and, and the impact that can have at their retirement so again I think the message that we try and get across is to use everyday examples um, to impact people's lives effectively that you know if they can't get to the 10 percent that they need to be contributing um, taking 1% now, which is again, five to $10 a week in most people's paycheck. That's a couple, couple of coffees and take that money and then add 1% today, six months from now, add another percent. And then all of a sudden over a five year period, if they're systematic about increasing of 1% every six months, that's a 10% increase in their contributions. So. I use the example, it's, it's the same way you eat a whale. You don't eat it all in one sitting, you eat it a bite at a time. And that's how you get from 5% to 15% is to take it one bite at a time, give up a coffee, give up that stop at a, at a local restaurant and focus on the things so that you can give up coffee today so that you can eat steak when you retire. <laughs> that's a good, that seems like a good trade-off. <laughs> yeah. To me, it makes sense. 
Well, that's another example of just something really simple, and it's memorable. I, I, when you're, I'm, I'm just imagining, do you, do you have people say to you things like, all right, Brian, I did it. I, <laughs> I increased it because I stopped buying the coffee. I mean, are, are you hearing people tell you that over the years? I do. Um, it, it, I've been in the business long enough where I'm starting to see those 20-year-olds I talked to many years ago now become 40- and 50-year-olds. And the, the beauty of our business is that uh, we do not get instant reflection on, on the pain we cause by making them make some hard financial decisions, but we do get to see the pleasure of that when they mature into um, their lifestyle that they've always dreamed they wanted. Um, there's, you know, the memorable break points when they come in after a few years and they review when they've hit enough in their uh, retirement balance to equal what they make in a year. And then the next break off point is when they made as much, they had enough growth in their uh, 401k balance to equal their salary. It's very refreshing to know that we helped get them on that path 30 years ago and they've uh, maintained it. Well, that's exciting. I mean, and so, you know, as we talk about this idea of 401ks continuing to be a big part of your business and have been for, you know, a number of years, have you found that, that some of the, whether it's the owners of the companies or the participants, has that then led to other, you know, individual planning kinds of conversations for, uh, for clients as a result of the 401k business? Yeah, we tend to take um, a very holistic approach to our participants, and we offer levels of service um, that a lot of firms uh, may choose not to. Um, for example, um, we offer financial planning advice, and I'm talking true uh, non-compensated advice on a range of subjects uh, for anybody who's a participant, whether they're you know, have $10 a week going in or whether they have uh, $24,000 a year going in. And we offer the advice um, through one of, one of uh, the advisors. Um, and we, we find that people respect our time when we give them good advice. But we also realize that that person who's putting in $10 a week and 25 might also be the vice president of finance um, of the company someday. So we want a good relationship without the demand that they purchase a product from us. Um, if they choose to use us on a pretty significant basis, we'll enter into some kind of agreed uh, arrangement. But again, we find most of what we do covered and our time is well invested by helping them get where they need to go. So it's almost like you're, you're investing in them early, giving them the tools that they need, and as they continue to grow, then they as their needs evolve, then they are aware that your services can evolve with them? Yes, that's exactly the way it works. No, that, that, makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, one of the topics that people are thinking about right now, and, and I'd be curious what perspective you might have on it, is do you see the, uh, the, the DOL ruling, is that changing anything that you're doing today, or do you think it might in the future? Yeah, it, our firm was very compatible with the initial requirements of DOL. Uh, not all of our accounts were initially compatible, so we had to make some uh, and have discussions with our clients on on the direction of what they want to go. And some clients we were prepared to walk away from if they didn't, you know, bring it into compliance. Uh, now that it's been delayed, um, it has not 
not changed. Uh, we're, we were ready for it if it would have gone in uh, to effect, um, and it was something that wasn't a big step away from what we did. Um, so moving forward, our practice is actually in a lot better shape um, than it was beforehand because we, we were doing it the right way. Uh, we didn't have a lot of conflicted uh, products in our qualified plans. And the only thing that would have changed really is the, the nature of who we accepted going forward. Uh, I think that would have been the biggest change in our practices that we would have really limited the, the type of client that would have come into the firm. And I, that was my biggest fear for the industry in general is that I think access to advice from what I saw from other advisors in the UK, Australia, uh, Korea's going through it, um, Singapore has gone through it. Um, the biggest problem those economies in those countries had was that they narrowed who would be able to afford advice. And I, that's why I'm happiest for the delay in the DOL is that it still allows for our U.S.-based traditional model to give advice to the people who need to start off at $10 a week, you know, and, and cover their basics of planning without limiting their access to, to qualified advice. Now that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one of the things that, that you guys are really good at is when you're articulating, you and, and your team, um, articulating the value proposition, um, how do you... How do you think about that in, in being as consistent as you've been able to of having everybody on the team when they're engaging somebody to be able to um, efficiently communicate that? When your values are clear, the, the ability to communicate that is very easy. And the values of our firm are very clear. Um, trusted advice from trusted advisors. Very simple. And we eliminate conflicts or we completely disclose conflicts if they do come up and I think that's one of the the biggest hurdles that our profession uh, will need to address in the coming years is to get comfortable with the fact that we get compensated in ways that we have no control uh, there are products that we feel are best that pay a compensation that is non-negotiable and what we started doing years ago is just having a very clear open discussion about that and by doing that it gives us clarity in the ability to solve problems you know if somebody doesn't like life insurance for example i say well i don't like certain cars it doesn't mean that you have to do it but i have to discuss life insurance as an option if i feel it's a problem if you choose to buy it from us, we'll help you find a great company to solve that problem. If you choose to use somebody else, that's great. We'll help you give advice on there. And that clarity of vision gives us the ability to honestly address the problems without having to worry about a conflict. And so your clarity is there. It's easy for everybody in the office to pick up on the clarity and there's no conflicts. Well, that that makes um, that makes a lot of sense, and you know one of the one of the things that that I'm noticing is that you're you're able to adapt and make changes as you need to. Or the example of you know less face-to-face -face meetings, using technology, being efficient, and it's it's helping you find time and also your your clients and prospects. So one of the things I'm curious about is 
as you're engaging people, what are, what are some of the things you're finding most effective today to get the attention of the, the busy potential client to have that initial conversation with you and your team? Well, um, unlike a lot of uh, other firms that I consider to be marketing firms, um, we are we are an advice-based firm. So we choose to work through very few prospects. Uh, we 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 don't do a lot of prospecting. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we choose to only take on twelve to fifteen new clients per year, and by doing that. There are three and a half, 350 million people in this country. There are millions of successful people. If we choose to do business with 15 of them, we don't have to sort through 100 a week to get to 15. When, when somebody approaches us through a referral, um, our conversion to client is very easy because they've already sought what we have to offer. And then we're very clear on our terms of engagement. The only way we can help them to the most efficient way possible is to use technology to communicate. Uh, I can't use FaceTime, uh, face-to-face time in a quarterly basis uh, with any client because we just don't have the bandwidth to do it. So the ability to to communicate through electronic means gives us the, the ability to service everybody. So we take all of that uh, client acquisition time or prospecting time eliminated it and we focus only on the people who choose to do business with us and we're very selective about who we choose to do business with so that they need our service model we give great service but we give service to people who who need legitimate service versus wanting to trade stock on a on a daily basis or or question things that we have no control over on a, a daily basis Good clients equal great service. So you're so you're, you're selective with them, and you're you're sounds like you're sharing that with them up front. It's like, look, we're other firms might spend most of their time and resources on marketing, bringing in new clients, and we're we're selective of who we bring on, and we provide them really good service. And you're you're telling them it sounds like whether it's a good fit or not based on your values and, and getting a sense of, of of who they are and where they're coming Absolutely. from. Absolutely. I don't want them to be disappointed in, in our model. Uh, I want them to be happy, and I just had that the other day. A very uh, nice potential client called us, um, asked us a few questions that I felt uncomfortable with, as far as you know the demands. They were for quarterly meetings and uh, face-to-face meetings, and they were hours away. And I just said, look, there may be somebody uh, that can help you, but that somebody is not going to be us. And I don't want to disappoint you or the person that referred you a year from now. I'd rather, I'd rather have, help you find somebody who can handle you in the best way that you want to be handled so that we can focus on the people who, who like our model. And it was a very nice communication, got very good reviews back from the referrer, and um, it was best for both of us. I wasn't going to be able to deliver uh, no matter what the size of their account was, and it would diminish what I could provide to my already awesome clients. Oh, that's a, that makes sense. I mean, it's good philosophy, and you know, it's we talked a little bit about Apple. I know there's there's a few other unique processes that you've developed, so I thought it'd be fun to, to go through uh, some of those. So the, the next one I have is, uh, is, is Core. Can you share that one with us? 
Core is our online-based planning program, and, and we use um, eMoney as our base mm -hmm. planning software. Um, but Core is a play on the Apple theme, and it's the core of what we do. It's an aggregation engine, um, and what it does is even if they choose not to use it on, a, on the client portal, we engage our clients um, to use it on our side because I can answer questions instantaneously. If they help us keep links updated, I can check to make sure our models and our portfolios are compatible with what they have in their 401k if we don't have that with what's going on in their personal life. And as one of my uh, clients um, used us in, in a matter to help explain retirement and the cash flow needed, if they were going to buy a vacation home, we use Core to open up the web portal in, in their home. I was four hours away from them. Uh, the husband and wife were sitting there. We had an open discussion about what if, what if they buy this home that they're looking at? What happens if they borrow? What happens if they pay cash and take it out of their portfolio? And we were able to have a very honest, open discussion about the cash flow needs in a visual basis, which was the way one spouse wanted to see it versus a numerical basis, which is the way the other spouse was trying to explain it. So Core is that web portal powered by eMoney that we use um, with almost every client that we have. Um, Every client will at least see the cash flow and the, and the destination type of portal to give them an idea of what they need. And then from their needs, we back plan into what they uh, should be doing from an investment standpoint and a savings standpoint. Well, it's, it's another way you're, you're simplifying something and making it visual. I, I love the, the example of one person needed to see the numbers, the other person needed to see that visual, and you were able to do that in a way where they both understood and, and probably felt a lot better about their previous understanding of, of all these topics from before they were working with you. Yeah, exactly. Well, how do you think about this? Uh, so, so right now I know a big topic is you know, as people are living longer and generating income at retirement is, is, a, is a big focus for a lot of people. So how do you think about this, uh, this basket approach for, for income? So uh, one thing, you know, there have been multiple uh, people who have used the concept, but again, we used baskets full of apples. We kept with the apple thing. Right. <laughs> and some people use buckets. We use apples. Um, it, I grew up on a farm. A bucket meant work. A basket meant pleasure. Um, um, so in the basket approach, what we discuss often is to make sure that that first basket that they have is a five-year basket of income so that it, irregardless of the market fluctuations they have a place to go for five years where they know they don't have to worry about what's happening in the other five baskets as far as the market goes they have five years of guaranteed income which is what what most people should be planning towards that second basket is mildly conservative and uh, a little bit higher yield, we can shoot for a little bit more. So now we have 10 years of income in either something extremely liquid, low yield, and something moderately liquid with a little bit higher yield. So 10 years of income will give us the opportunity to look back and pick exit points if we need to create more opportunities out of the other four baskets. So we, again, we just use modeling to create a 
a moderate and a more aggressive and a more aggressive and more aggressive and most aggressive. But when you give somebody a 10-year window, I, I tell my clients, I can't look forward and predict where the market will go, but I am 100% accurate looking backwards 10 years. And I can tell you exactly where there were high points and low points. And I can tell you today that your mark, your portfolio is either up or down with 100% accuracy. So if you give me 10 years of guaranteed income where we don't have to worry about what the market is, I can pick a point over the next 10 years where we can let your assets ride through the ups and downs, and I can pick segregated assets to capitalize and, and, and pick a return. It might be in the third year, it might be in the seventh year, it might be in the 10th year that we liquidate these other baskets to create more income in your first basket. I can look backward with 100% accuracy until you have a profit or a loss, but I cannot look forward and tell you when that will be. That concept resonates with my clients and it gives them a comfort level, it gives me a comfort level as an, a manager of their expectations to be able to put their money to best use and, and invest it most effectively and yet keep them, keep them in the game if the markets go crazy. Well, it's almost like you're, 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 you're letting them know that these things are going to happen at some point and that it's okay because of the way you're structuring with the different baskets. In other words, where there's a downturn, that's not going to uh, limit their ability to take money out to go on vacation, it sounds like, because you've got it earmarked for all the different time frames, right? Yes. Yeah, so we try and you know, the six baskets represent five-year intervals of, of income. And again, it, it, the most aggressive goes into that 30-year basket. Now, do we actually segregate this into separate baskets of investments? No, but we, we internally manage those expectations accordingly to make sure we have the cash flow necessary. Well, the, what's brilliant about that is so I'm just picturing the analogy. I'm picturing in my mind like little baskets with apples in them, like a visual of that. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, so let's say there's an account with a million dollars in it or whatever, but you're saying to the person that, you know, that, that furthest out segment, that's the most aggressive one. And, you know, the account balance might have gone down, but we were prepared because we've got this other money in these more conservative places, et cetera. I mean, that's a great, that's a great visual for something that, might have been a little harder for people to grasp as they saw, well, my total account value decreased as opposed to thinking of these different baskets. Exactly. And then, you know, that you can use the seed analogy that the, that 30 year basket and the 25 year baskets, we're planting seeds today so that those trees will be yielding 20 years from now. Well, what this, uh, the concept that this, uh, this idea of the, the maximizer for, for life insurance, um, how does that uh, play into everything? Well, when I was a TPA back in the um, early 2000s, and life insurance was a very easy, uh, well-supported option. And back then I developed the maximizer concept to illustrate the benefits of life insurance in a qualified plan. We haven't done a lot of that lately because of the complexities of administration. Uh, I'll be real honest that I still believe in the concept, but the ability to illustrate it effectively is almost non-existent. But it, at the end of the day, that was a, a way, again, to take a very complex topic, break it down into the fundamentals of what it is, and that's turning retirement plan money into tax-free death benefits eventually, um, and the economics of how 
that drain of those insurance costs was actually paid for by tax deductible dollars. Um, it worked very effectively. Unfortunately, in today's environment, very, very difficult to put that into on the paper and even more difficult to service due to the, the relationships with uh, some of the manufacturers. Well, speaking of uh, 401ks, there's a there's a another great um, kind of a phrase that you've created. One of your unique processes, 401k know-how. So, what uh, what's that experience like for for your clients? So we um, the 401 know-how. I, I as I mentioned earlier, I wrote the book called 401 Know-How and an Insider's Guide to uh, Retirement Plans, and it, it started off as a, as a user's manual, and through my study group, they encouraged me to, to take that further. And so I found a, a great person to help me write um, the, and research the, the elements of the book. So last year, about this time, we came out and went ahead and published the book. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that uh, started with some encouragement from my guys in my study group. And it's now become, it's available on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. And uh, so 401 Know How describes the processes that we go through. And when we do an education meeting, um, most people talk about funds and, and you know the, the basics of the investments where we talk about putting away money and a cup of coffee and, and the different types of things that uh, are important to an employee. We then back that up with a report that we can provide each participant, which is a very detailed gap analysis. Here's what you need, here's where you are, and, and the gap is what we need to plan for. So part of that process that we found easy to explain is, is a recurring theme of people who didn't have enough money to put into their 401k plan was that they received a significant refund check at retirement. And if you do the math, a lot of my participants are making thirty to forty thousand dollars a year, and they're getting three and four thousand dollar refund checks. Well, math ten percent. So what we found was people were over withholding in their weekly paycheck, and then not able to find any extra money to put into the four hundred one k plan. So they would get their refund check, and that would pay off their credit card bill that they ran up because they didn't have enough cash. Huh. So part of our 401 know-how approach was to sit down and, and do an analysis of their paycheck, which our software program allows us to do, and it will actually evaluate if they went from single in one, which most employees, when they start with a company, they're single, not married, no dependents, and we found that they never changed their W-4. So they started at a company when they were 25, and they put single and zero, and then when they got married and had children, all of a sudden, they didn't plan to have a $3,000 refund check. It just happened as the life around them changed and their tax return changed. So what we found is this payroll approach gives us the ability to, within a 10-minute interview, we're able to show them the impact of going from single and zero to married and four actually created about a 10% contribution and their take-home pay stayed exactly the same. So what we did was we transferred their refund check that they normally were getting changed and lowered their withholding on their W-4, so they were withholding less taxes, and then we were able to divert that 10% into the 401k plan, or maybe 5% 401k and 5% extra cash each week, so they could start paying cash 
for purchases instead of using their credit card. Wow. So, so it's almost like you, you found extra money by just helping them think differently about updating things over time. And that's, that's really, that, that's a great example of value add for a whole bunch of people. Well, and, and again, if we found that they're, you know, very smart people just never think through all of the different things. Life's busy. Right. And it's up to us as advisors to help them understand where we can find ways to help them. And I have yet to find that person that takes that $3,000 refund check and turns around and invests it into a retirement program. They use it to buy things that they sacrificed all year not to get. They buy a trampoline or a swimming pool or a four-wheeler <laughs> or whatever. And they get into habits of famine to feast. And in the meantime, they're not putting anything away. So a common question I have when I talk to enrollees is, you know, I don't have enough, they mentioned they don't have enough money to put in. I asked them, I said, how big was your refund check? And the minute they tell me that if they, they legitimately can't put in and they're getting a big refund check, I said, the next step is I have a W-4 with me. I said, let's change your W-4 withholding to something that's more adequate for your current situation so that we can now redirect that into your 401k savings. Now that that makes a lot of sense, and uh, so that book's available for one know-how, so we can all go check that out. Sounds like a great resource. And, and by the way, speaking of books, um, I understand you're in a few book clubs. Did did I understand right that you're in one where you read a book every single week? Is that right? <laughs> well, that's a so. I'm in a book club uh, with a bunch of my MDRT friends. I think we're up to about 16 now. And so we do a book every two to three months. And I challenge them if anybody wanted to join me on a book a week. <laughs> and um, everybody agreed it was an awesome idea and challenge, but uh, very few people had the extra bandwidth to do it. So I, I find that the impact of my life has been in the books I read and the people I associate myself with. And what I'm trying to do is gobble as much knowledge as I can while my mind is still absorbing and um, I, I may skim through it. I have the ability um, to, to read fairly quickly, pick up the things I need. Um, and I, I use my Kindle uh, on my iPad when I'm working on a treadmill. I use audiobooks. Uh, so it's not like I'm sitting down reading a hard copy. But in between, if I I'm, I'm, do have a face-to-face -face meeting, if I'm waiting for an appointment, if I have some downtime, I'll go to the book versus... Um, you know, watching Facebook live or <laughs> what we're doing right now, unfortunately, and um, are, going, are going to social media out and to fill my mind with something that adds value. Well, that's a great point. Well, so, well you, you get the time back and then you, you use it productively. That's the key is not just get the time back and go watch TV, right? Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we watch very little TV uh, in our house. Well, I mean, so you're you're exposed to a lot of content, audio. Are there a couple of books recently that, that come to mind that have been particularly interesting for you? Oh, yeah. I, the one I read probably, well, I read it in 2006, is um, uh, it's by William Strauss and Neil Howe. And it's called The Fourth Turning. Uh, highly, highly recommend that book for anybody in the advice business. Um, it gives you a perspective that helps you think outside of this news cycle, outside of, you know, uh, 
what our generational trends are, and it gives you a very good macro view of what happens in generational turning. It's, it's, for those of us in the business, a lot of us listen or have heard of Ken Dykewald, who talked about the baby boom generation. This actually goes back 300 years and goes through the American cycles of generations. Um, and it's helped me calm the inner anxiety of it's got to be the worst period of time ever type of thing that our, our negative mind will go to. So that's a great one. Um, many people have read Simon Sinek's um, Start With Why. Um, again, it's a game changer. More importantly is the YouTube video. Uh, I find that uh, every time I watch it, and I've watched it countless times, I find a new way to help address um, the why of what we do. What, why do I do what I do? Why do clients choose to use me? Uh, so that's another another great book. I just finished uh, uh, Robert Caldini's uh, book, um, and I'm drawing a blank on the on the name of. It. I just um, is that persuasion? Uh, great. Pardon me. The the new one, uh, persuasion. Is that is that the one you you, you read? Uh, no, it was the one before that. Oh, uh, I think in, influence. One, uh, I think it was called. Yeah. Influence. Yeah, I was going to say inverted, but um, influence. Uh, it again looking and, and watching his uh, some of his talks and then applying the what what you read in the book and the, and the neat thing about um, what we're doing with this book is it's one thing to read a book but it's another thing to discuss that book with other people it's like watching and going to your company's convention and you can hear 10 speakers and those 10 speakers will, you'll pick up an idea or two, but if you discuss it with five other people, you'll get about a hundred different things that come out of those same speakers. Same thing with a book club. I never understood the power of it until we read the Maxwell Five Levels of Leadership, which is gonna be the last book I close with for you. Uh, the Maxwell Five Levels of Leadership, um, again, Bill Spencer's on the, in the, the book club, and what we did is we compared notes, and one of the members said, that's all great, but here was my takeaway. He goes, we're leaders of our client's decision-making process, and those five levels apply to each stage of a relationship in a client relationship. And that was the mind opener for me, and it's where I started thinking about myself in a leadership role, not in a traditional sense of here, my title is X. CEO of my firm, president of MDRT, but I'm actually CEO of my client's financial life. And if I'm only on level one, which is just purely, I'm the advisor, you're the client, take it or leave it type of approach, versus to get to level five, which I spend all of my time giving a client the leadership decision-making process that they want to tell other people about. That was the mind opener for me on the Maxwell book. So it's John Maxwell's Five Levels of Leadership. So for any of these organizations, absolutely a must. Uh, and don't read it just once. Read it multiple, multiple times. Then talk to somebody else and have them read it along with you. So um, best things in, in the world. Those books um, are a good start to, um, to round out anybody's library. 
Well, that's great. I mean, I'm excited about getting acquainted and reacquainted with all of those. And um, just a couple of other quick things as we wrap up. Um, I mean, so how do you think about right now, today, where we are, 2017? How what what are you uh, most excited about, just in terms of the business? I I think um, the financial services profession never looked brighter. And the reason I say that is it's pure demographics. Um, if you look at the number of advisors that were in uh, the, the baby boom generation, and you look at the, um, the donut hole that came about with the millennials, very few advisors came in. I think it's a great opportunity that, that those of us who are, who are looking, doesn't matter our age, but if we're looking over the next 20 years, we have the opportunity to provide advice and there's so few other advisors because of that whole of generation that was down significantly in the in the base on the millennial generation now gen gen y is coming in and they'll be in a situation where they'll replace that hole but um i think i think there's multiple opportunities for people to build the practice that they want to build well, that makes a lot of sense. And the, the final thing is, I know you're doing collaboration with other advisors around the country. I mean, is um, is that something that you still have capacity to do if there's um, someone listening that may have an opportunity that they would want to get in touch with you and your team? Yes, we're, we're widely open for opportunities to collaborate. Um, we think our, our way of handling a transition in a person's financial practice um, we've had great success with it 10 times over um, and we feel we add value not just access but we add value uh, to every every relationship that we've done that to and then from a mentoring standpoint whether people want to uh, use the mentoring advice or they want to be a mentor I can't stress uh, enough for your your uh, viewers how important it is to help other people and then no matter where you're at in your career seek a mentor help you grow to where you want to grow. Well, this this has been great, Brian. Thanks for thanks for sharing your wisdom with us today. Been a lot of great topics and takeaways that I know will be really helpful to everybody. All right. Glad to glad you invited me and I hope I was able to add some value today. Definitely.